I want to start by asking the question, what's the purpose of human laws? Why do we have laws in our land? We've been under particular and special laws over the past couple of months. But I want to ask the question more broadly, why do we have the law of the land? Well, we have them in order to live in peace with one another. If we didn't have laws that held us and bound us and shaped our behaviour, we'd live in a chaotic and violent society. Purpose and the fundamental principle behind our laws is that we are to treat other human beings as nothing less than what they are. Our laws preserve the dignity and the importance of each other, of our own humanity. And so if we trample over one another and we treat one another as less than what we are, the consequence is, is not peace. The consequence is chaos. And we see this kind of chaos, and we see what this looks like often when we read the newspapers. This week, uh, two men in Guildford were shot dead uh, because of apparently some feud, long-lasting feud between two families who see themselves beyond the law. And so when these people act in a way that's beyond the law, there's this spiral of violence. The police are concerned with the spiral of violence. You see, if we all acted in this way, there would be no peace. And so what happens? What's a consequence when we break those laws? If someone breaks into your house, uh, they ransack it, they steal your goods. If someone robs a bank and they come before the judge and they say, look, oh, well, I'm sorry, what, what would you say? If that was your house, what would our community say? What would indeed the judge say? The judge would say, well, that's just not good enough. Because that person, when they act in such a way, under the laws of our land, are put into a different kind of relationship. We actually exclude them from society in these places called jails because they have a debt to pay and they lose the privilege of acting normally within our society until that debt is paid. And this is similar to what we see in the Bible. We live with this principle each day, but we see this kind of principle worked out in the Bible because the Bible says that God is a lawgiver. And why do we obey God's law? Well, for the same reason that we obey laws in our land, for peace, for fellowship, so we can live with him. And if we are to treat God as something less than what he is, well, there are consequences. In fact, God's law is summarised by our attitude towards him. We are to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. But there's a consequence, like there is in our society, a consequence for breaking God's law. When you decide to live your life as if you belong to yourself, as if you're the creator of your own existence and your own destiny, well, the Bible says you're in fact breaking God's law. You're breaking God's law because you're treating him 
less than what he is. And when you break God's law, when you act as though you are God, as though you are king, when you treat him as something less than what he is, the king, the creator, the one who is the source of all things, you can't just say, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry isn't acceptable if your house is broken into. So why would it be acceptable to God? And as much as we may owe society and our fellow human beings and the honour of our family, that's nothing what we owe to God. Because God is a personal creator. He's beyond us, but he cares about how we live. And we owe him everything. We owe him our life, each breath we take. And so if we break his laws, then our debt is an infinite debt. This is the basic understanding of the Bible, especially as Paul comes to really unwrap what the gospel is this morning. If you open up to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, you'll see there in verse 21 that Paul makes this quite stark statement about our condition before God. He says there in verse 21 that we were alienated from God and we're enemies in our minds because of our evil behaviour. As Paul writes to the Colossians, he's thinking about their relationship before they had become Christians, how they related to God outside of Jesus. And it's the language of estrangement. It's the language, it's military language as well, because it's, it's that we are enemies of God who need to be reconciled. And you can see there in verse 21 that it's linked to the mind. Our understanding is darkened and it needs to be illuminated. <clears throat> this is, in fact, a theme in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians stresses um, in a number of places in chapter 1, verse 6, 9 and 10 in chapter 1, verse, chapters 2, verse 2 and chapter 3, verse 10, this, this idea of a spiritual understanding, a spiritual insight, a knowledge of spiritual matters. Because when we have corrupt minds, we have hardened hearts, and the consequence in verse 21 are dark deeds. Paul is saying that this is the state of play for us before God. And so the whole theme of what Paul has to say in these verses is about reconciliation. And if there is to be reconciliation, we must first reconcile, we must first realise that outside of Jesus, outside of God's work towards us, we are not in relationship with him. We are his enemies. We are estranged. We are alienated by the way that we think naturally. And this is why we read in the very next verse, in verse 22, this great gospel statement. It's a statement that presumes verse 21 is true, that we're not reconciled to God. But here's what the gospel of the Lord Jesus is in Paul's mind. Here's what he wants to remind these Colossians. He wants to remind them that he has, verse 22, reconciled you by 
Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Paul uses there some interesting language. He changes the language a little bit from verse 21. He starts to introduce the language of holiness and blemish. Now, when Paul does that, he's got in mind, and he's got in the back of his mind, the tabernacle and the temple. This is the language of Old Testament worship. It's a language of temple ceremonies. And what Paul is saying here is that we can't be presented toward to God. We're not in a condition of presentability. Now this morning, uh, you'll be very pleased tonight. I had a shower, put on a fresh shirt. We do that when we go out. Uh, we can get away with our tracksuit pants at home, our pyjamas. But when we go out, our ladies sometimes put makeup on. Uh, we might put fresh clothes on because we care about how we present ourselves generally. Well, it's a similar idea, but it's an idea that's magnified here. Because it's not that we'll just be a little embarrassed that we're in our Ugg boots, it's that we are not ready to be presented to God. This is the issue, because we are unholy. Our alienation has meant that we are now un unholy and blemished. See, at the centre of the tabernacle, the centre of Old Testament worship was this holy place, this place where God dwelt, where his presence was, where his face was said to be. And if you wanted to go there, you had to go in clean and unblemished with a sacrifice that was also unblemished and without defect. You had to become clean yourself and... You didn't just have to be clean yourself. You needed also to bring a sacrifice. And that sacrifice wasn't just any kind of sacrifice. It was a sacrifice without blemish. And if you read in the Old Testament books like Leviticus and Numbers, we, uh, we often get confused by those books, especially all those laws um, around what's clean and what's not clean. It seems just to go on and on. There's incredible detail and it's so comprehensive and it's all a little confusing when we read it for the first time. But the point of those laws is to say you can't go anywhere near God with dirt on you. Your body had to be clean. There was this laver, this, this large bowl which was used for washing. And it wasn't just that your body had to be clean, your clothes had to be clean and they had to be a certain kind of fabric and it wasn't just that your skin and your clothes needed to be clean you need to be clean from disease you couldn't go there with blemish you couldn't go there if you were in fact disfigured you couldn't go there as a leper and it wasn't just how you looked your skin your clothes your medical health state it was also what you had to eat you had to eat clean food and so there was all this preparation of cleanliness before you could even consider coming before God. And so what was the purpose? Why all these laws? Why such fiddly, pedantic detail? Well, they would have helped you realise. They would have helped you realise that 
There was almost no way unless you worked constantly. And even if you worked constantly to make yourself clean, you were continually getting unclean by just the normal way you went about life. It's almost, there's almost no way that you could go through a day just to make yourself clean. It was extremely difficult. So why did God do that? Why did he require the people of old to do that? God's point is simple. It's to remind us that we are spiritually unclean, that there's spiritually something wrong with us. And that's true for us today. Just the way we go about life. As we live a normal day, by nature, we are not getting any cleaner. We are, in fact, unfit spiritually before God. In Paul's language, we're not reconciled with God. We're far off. We're his enemies. We're unholy and we're not fit for his presence. And so that's what those laws tell us about. That's what they remind us. They, they draw in a very visual and existential way the fact that whatever you do, you can't get clean and presentable enough before God. One uh, French philosopher was asked, aren't you afraid of meeting God when you die? And as he died, he said, no, I'm not afraid. God will forgive me. That's his job. Well, we might want God to forgive us. We may even like the idea of forgiveness as a nice kind of way to go about life. But just like a judge who might want to forgive and like a community who might want to forgive, a robber, a bank, a bank robber, there has to be payment. We can't just wish by, you know, good vibes or nice thoughts that we are better than we are. Paul, in a very stark and, and a, in a way that's quite hard for us as modern readers to understand, Paul is quite clear that we need to be reconciled with God. We're not fundamentally right with him. We're in uh, an unholy state. And so there needs to be reconciliation. Paul puts it uh, in this way back in verse 20. He says, Through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Paul, in fact, is setting us up for what we'll read in verse 22, that the way in which humans who are by nature unclean are reconciled, are brought close to God, is through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And the background for this is also in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 16. The concept of the Day of Atonement is very much on view here. The Day of Atonement was this day once a year where two goats were brought and the high priest Aaron would lay his hand on one goat's head and it says 
in Leviticus chapter 16, lay your hands on the goat's head and confess all the sins of the people and put the sins of the people on the goat and drive it out. Send it out of the camp. Put it in a solitary place. And the other goat was, without defect, was slain for the sins of the people. Why did... Why is Aaron instructed to put his hands upon the sacrifice? Well, this sacrifice is without blemish. And its blemishlessness represents you as you touch it. This animal receives in a symbolic way our blemish. It's unblemished. But when it's touched by the high priest, by Aaron, when it's touched by him, it receives the blemish of the people. So this happens in two ways. It's, on the one hand, the perfection of that particular goat becomes symbolically the perfection of the people, but the imperfection of the people becomes the goat's imperfection. And really this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at here in Colossians chapter 1. This is in fact at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. This is what Paul says is his gospel. This is the very message that he wants to stand by and stay in and keep this small church trusting in. See, this is what it means to be a Christian for us. It's not simply trying to be a better person. What it means to be a Christian is it means to spiritually lay your hands upon the sacrifice as Aaron laid his hands upon that goat to lay our hands on him and his blemishlessness becomes ours and our blemishes become his. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. We see this wonderfully and beautifully illustrated in Jesus' life. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters very movingly this woman who's had a condition for which she's bled for years. She's been sick and she's tried so many things, so many doctors But nothing can heal her. And so she comes up with this idea. She sees Jesus in a crowd and she tries in secret to touch him. And she needs to do it in secret because here's a woman who can't go anywhere near the temple. Here's a woman who has been excluded from the presence of God for years. Here's a woman who is ritually unclean. And if someone who is unclean touches someone who is clean, well, that person becomes unclean. And the thought of touching a rabbi, the thought of touching a holy person, well, that was just a social, cultural, religious taboo. And so, secretly, she tries to touch Jesus. And it's interesting, we see this a lot in Jesus' encounter with people like this woman. It's interesting the way the Pharisees respond, the religious leaders of the time, 
Because what they'd done is they'd taken these good laws around cleanliness and they'd twisted them. They'd twisted them in their minds to make physical cleanliness exactly the same as spiritual cleanliness. And so they were very proud because they were spiritually clean because they were physically clean. But here was in their mind this woman who wasn't physically clean so she must be spiritually unclean. And so people like this woman, lepers, people with disease, felt excluded from God, felt so unclean. And this is an important reminder to us about our disposition towards God, about our assumptions of what we deserve. Often we can get ourselves into the mindset, a darker mindset where we think actually we're not that much of a sinner and we're actually a pretty good person when we do a lot. And the Apostle Paul, I think, would say that that kind of thinking is a darkened kind of thinking. And in fact, Jesus says in reflecting uh, elsewhere on those who come to him, those who come to him who don't feel like they're worthy enough, he says that they're the people who aren't far from the kingdom of God and the people who think that they're so good because of all that they do, because of who they are, well, Jesus says that those people are very far from the kingdom of God. See, we need to remind ourselves this morning that outside of Jesus, that we are unworthy and that we are unfit and that we actually still do fail in so many ways. And this is, I think, how the woman who touched Jesus would have felt. She came up and she touched him and immediately she is healed. Whenever the holy and the unholy touch in the Old Testament, we see that someone dies. We saw, we see, we saw that in, as God came to Mount Sinai. He says, don't touch my holy mountain because you'll die. We see that with Uzzah and the ark, the ark's being, ark of covenant's being brought back, and he sees the ark falling and he touches it and he dies. And yet here's this woman who was unclean who is beyond even getting anywhere near the temple. And she comes and she touches Jesus. And she doesn't die. She lives. Because this is a picture of the gospel. This is what Paul is speaking of here. That we've been reconciled. And someone does die in Paul's mind. But it's not the woman. And it's not those who trust in the Lord Jesus. Someone does die. It's Jesus. It's his death. It's his blood that is shed. See, we live when we come and touch not the sacrifice of a goat, but when we touch in faith the Lord Jesus Christ when we trust in him, we who are unclean are made clean. And this means that 
We are reconciled. We are brought near to God. And there's this wonderful twofold result that, that we as people are now holy in his sight. We're considered free from accusation. It means that in God's sight, because of the Lord Jesus, we now are beautiful to him. He loves us and he sees us not as we are by nature. He sees us as he sees the Lord Jesus in his righteousness. And it also means that God isn't just reconciling people. Now, the language of our passage here and the language really of, of chapter 1 is a cosmic worldwide reconciliation. We as people through Jesus are reconciled, but that alienation is a cosmic alienation. It's an alienation that exists throughout our whole world and throughout the whole of creation. And the work of Jesus' death in the cross is not just for humans, it's for our whole world. It's a cosmic reconciliation of of everything. And most importantly, it's a legal reconciliation because the very justice of God demands that we stay free from accusation. See, justice is obligated. The Lord Jesus has died. And our own accusations, the accusations of the evil one, won't stand before him because justice is obligated. That's why in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, for God not to forgive you, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, he would be unjust. Because in the work of the Lord Jesus, in his death on the cross and in the shedding of his blood, you have been fully, properly forgiven. And so, friends, we need to remind ourselves of this reconciliation. It's a great word of reconciliation that we need each day. That we are now, because of the blood of Jesus, reconciled. And it's a message of reconciliation for our whole world. It's a message of reconciliation for our community. Amen.